0: If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn with me, Uh, where Mark just read there in Psalms 89. We are going to be all over the place today, though, so if you have a Bible with you, great. If you have tabs, even greater. If you need a Bible this morning, go ahead and raise your hand, and uh, Mark will throw one at you, Frisbee style, and we'll go into the text. Um, we are going to be all over the place today, so Psalm 89 is a good place to start, we're going to hit that a few different times uh, in, in this study. Uh, as you guys know, we're doing the uh, touchstones, if you will, of redemptive history, so the seed of Eve, last week was the seed of Abraham, today is the seed of David, all right? I'm going to light these candles, <laughs> since uh, Mark didn't, so I... am sorry, <laughs> I was just CRS. Okay. I'm pastoring a bunch of characters. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this this precious church family. God, thank you for uh, just the individuals that make up this church body. And Lord, uh, who they are, uh, their stories and their testimonies. God, what you have done and how you've brought them together. Uh, What a bouquet of grace. And I thank you, Father God, for just the beautiful picture of your bride. Fallen, yes we are, but redeemed, yes we are. And we thank you for the precious saving grace of Jesus. God, I pray for your blessing on our study this morning. I ask this in his name, amen. Who are some of your favorite Bible characters? Just throw some names out there. Roger. That's where I'm going, you can't use that. Who else? Favorite Bible characters? Paul. Paul. Joseph, Job, Job. Job. Daniel. Daniel, Isaiah, Isaiah. Esther. Is anybody here trying to figure out kids' names or grandkids' names? You know, I'll help you out. When I was a kid, my two, very, two of my very favorites were Joseph and David. Joseph because he was a faithful man, a man that was tested in very crazy ways, and yet the Lord kept him faithful. Uh, my other favorite was David, because he knocked down the big guy with a rock. And I just love these two guys and their, and their character. This morning, we're going to be looking at the seed of David, thinking through redemptive history as we saw the promise all the way back in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Last week, the seed of Abraham, yes, at one point being his biological family, And then they had sons, and they had sons, and they eventually became a massive nation. We're studying that in in the book of Genesis. But then ultimately resulting in what the Apostle Paul referred to as the true seed, or the offspring of Abraham, being singular, not plural, namely Jesus Christ. All the way back in the Old Testament, looking forward to Jesus Christ. Remember, your Bible is not a just a book of, or a collection of 66 books. There's unity. It's it's a collection, yes, with many, many thousands of years, and different authors, and different languages, and different genres, and different, 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 and yet a unity that just screams a single author. Now, what, the way you come to that more and more is the more you study the Word of God, the more you see, wow, the interconnectedness of my Bible shows with great clarity that there is divine authority behind this. This is not just a collection of 66 books, but one book with one major emphasis by one author, as God inspired men to write down that which exactly he wanted written. If you're a Christian, this is part of your belief system that this is the inerrant, inspired Word of God. And what it says goes. You bow. Doesn't mean that you're, you shut your brain down. It means you work very hard in the text. But when the text says it, eventually, at some point, you bow. God said, I do. Done. Done. And so when we come to our New Testament and we see the inerrant, inspired interpretation of the Old Testament Scriptures, we submit our theology and our thinking to the Word. And we're going to see that with David, as we saw with Abraham, as we saw with Adam and Eve, that as we come to our New Testament, the New Testament author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, always goes back to Jesus Christ. Let me just give you a verse to jot down if you're keeping notes. Luke 24, 27. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus there with his two disciples opens up their minds, their heart burning with the truth of the Scripture as Christ is unfolding the Old Testament Scriptures, showing them everything concerning him. And so, as we're doing these... Touchstones, if you will, lighting these candles. We're just thinking through a few little spots in our Old Testament leading up to the first advent or the first coming of the Lord Jesus. Okay, like I said, we'll get to Psalm 89, but first go to Ruth. Because that makes sense, right? We're going to Ruth. Joshua judges Ruth. Just the last bit of it. I remember years ago reading through Ruth and seeking to get a better understanding of this book, and the genealogy just leaped off the page seeing God's design with Boaz. But look at verse 18 of of, uh, Ruth 4. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Ammonadab. Ammonadab fathered Nashan. Nashan fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. The reason that's so important is we're seeing the lineage moving to Christ. You go, how does Ruth fit in the whole plan of redemption? Did you hear the name Boaz in there? Do you see how this is connecting? Dots are connecting, moving towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, So let me remind you of just a few tidbits of this person, David. Just a list I'm going to kind of walk through real quick. David is the son of Jesse, a shepherd boy. David defeated Goliath by God's power, a fearless act by a man who looked to God, not to himself. We see him consistently as a man of integrity. He's a man of incredible leadership abilities and leadership responsibilities as his mighty men, quote unquote, are following him and his influence on them. They're not questioning him. They love him. They're devoted to him. He's a psalmist. This is what's so interesting is that this guy could run a machine gun better than anybody Simultaneously, sit down and write the most beautiful poetry you'll ever read. Such a varied man in his personality and in his giftings. A fierce warrior. Remember when they're trying to get Saul's goat, and the the ladies are crying that um, Saul kills his thousands, but David kills his ten thousands. This guy had a rep, a fierce warrior, a good leader. A man of integrity. Remember the opportunities where he could have taken Saul out any time he wanted, and he does not. I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Even when his guys are like, come on, you've got it, you've got it, get him, get him. No. God's sovereign, he's in charge, that's his anointed, and I won't touch him. Man of integrity when every opportunity is in front of him. A man after God's own heart, the Bible says. That's That's a powerful, potent statement. The Bible says this guy's a man after God's own heart. And eventually, a great king. As well as a fallen man in need of a redeemer. So you can have both. Um, The sin of what takes place with his adultery with Bathsheba and the death of Uriah and everything that happens in that event does not stain David as if he wasn't stained before that event. Beloved, it can read like that at times where you go, this guy's great. Wow, this guy's really great. Man, this relationship he has with Saul's son. What a good friend. What a solid man. And it just builds up. And then this weak moment and this sin with this woman and the death of her husband and then the confrontation by the prophet Nathan and then the death of his son. His little baby dies. You go, this is just harsh. David was doing so good. He was perfect up to that point. No. No, he's a a fallen man in need of redemption. But he's also a man of incredible character, of good integrity, and somebody profoundly used by the Lord, profoundly used by the Lord in Scripture. And after his death, you will hear his name for the rest of your Bible. That, That really impacted my heart in studying this week was After his death, through the rest of your Bible, all the way to the last chapter of the Bible, you're going to hear his name. Over and over and over and over again. Son of David, Son of David, Son of David, Son of David. But remember again, when he desired to build the temple, the Lord said, no, I won't, because you are a man of bloodshed. Yeah, a fallen man in need of a redeemer, a redeemed man, who God profoundly used and had a massive impact on the history of God's people, including you sitting here this morning. I'll show you why. Let's look uh, at a number of passages, you guys. So I'm going to read through quite a bit of Scripture here. Do your best, just follow with me and and work through these passages because I'll be referring to them a bunch. Um, We're going to be in 1 Chronicles 17. 1 Chronicles 17. First Chronicles 17, and I'll pick it up at 9. I will appoint a place for my, for my people Israel, and I will plant them, that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall waste them no more or for, as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne here's your key word, if you have a green highlighter or orange highlighter, those are the only two that work in a Bible, forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever. Forever and his throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Psalm 89. Psalm 89. Brother Mark read that before, and I just want to go through it again. Just verses 3 and 4. Psalm 89, verse 3. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Psalm 132, verse 11. Psalm 132, verse 11. And this is just touching a a few scriptures, you guys. There's many that keep reiterating the same idea throughout your Old Testament. But Psalm 132, and look at verse 11. Just reiterating this oath, this covenant, this swearing by God to David. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. Now I'm checking one thing really quick because I wrote it down wrongly. I just want to make sure that I'm in the right spot. And I'm not, so we'll skip that <laughs> David's seed will build a house, and there will be a throne, the throne of David, that his seed will be on forever. That's the Davidic covenant, or the Davidic promise made by God to David. Okay, Just let that settle. All right, I will build a house, and David will build a house, and on your throne, one of your seed will be on there forever. David's seed will build a house where is the Lord's residence, quote-unquote, and David will build his house. So you have two things here, God's presence and David's presence. The family of David and the presence of God. They just kind of work this down until they interconnect with Jesus. The seed of David and the presence of God. All right? The Lord will establish David's throne forever. The seed of David will reign from his throne forever. Now, that word forever, I'm hitting it so hard, you guys, because it's, it's, it's kind of the, the linchpin of this entire structure theologically, but biblically, just understanding our Bibles, that word should jump out. I will establish your throne forever. We see this multi-tiered fulfillment of this Davidic covenant. Big words. Multi-tiered fulfillment of this covenant. This covenant will be fulfilled in multi-tiered ways. First and foremost, to the direct son of David. Solomon will be king. Solomon will build the, will build the temple, the house of God. The direct descendant of David. Go to 1 Chronicles 22. First Chronicles 22, verse seven. This is David charging Solomon to build this house, to build this temple. David said to Solomon, "My son, I had it in my heart to build a house to the name of the Lord, my God. But the word of the Lord came to me saying, "You have shed much blood." And have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood before me on the earth. Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies, for his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days." He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. So the first fulfillment of this multi-tiered fulfillment is Solomon himself, that he'll build this temple, a house will be built for him. If you remember um, one of the most just Precious passages in the Old Testament is right after the temple is built, the prayer of Solomon. Just to spend some time. Go back and find that and search that out. I just love that passage, the worship and the joy, the exhilaration after that is done. But the fulfillment continues. The fulfillment continues in the kings of Judah, the lineage of David. so connected to this is just simply Second Chronicles, the whole book. As you walk through that book, You will just go king after king after king, the seed of David, the kings of Judah, coming from Solomon all the way down the line as they are on the throne, as they are on the throne, moving um, forward. Many, 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 many years covered by this line of David. So this multi-tiered, right? We see it in Solomon. Now we're seeing it in the family of David, the kin of David, the offspring of David, the seed of David. Remember? Remember? We covered this last week, and so it should look somewhat familiar to you when we talked about Abraham. We saw Abraham. Then we saw Abraham's direct family, right? The 12 tribes. But then we see the nation continue on. The nation continue on, ultimately resulting this nation moving all the way down to Jesus Christ, who's the ultimate seed of Abraham. Now, I'm, these are wide swaths of teachings in these weeks because there's so much scripture so my desire is that it just simply whets your appetite so you start searching the Scripture um, more on, on these topics, okay? But now let's look at the New Testament. As we've seen these promises made, a, a seed of David will be on David's throne forever. Now, I will, I will um, want to just share with you guys in the study this week... Um, I mean, these are passages I've read forever, right? They're Christmas passages, some of the ones I'm going to draw your attention to, where you've heard them read around family times and that kind of stuff. The exhilaration in my heart to see the continuity and the unity of the Bible in the study this week just moved my emotions to see the glory of God revealed in the Word of God. And just to see just the the vastness of time and people and all this, and to see his promise just tick right along. Nobody throws him off his game perfectly in order. It's going to land exactly the way he's called it. It just moves my heart to see this. And... To be perfectly frank, it even caught me by surprise afresh to see where the New Testament authors, the inspired and errant interpreters of the Old Testament, say what they said and when they said it in reference to the seed of David. So, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. I've given you two of the uh, tiers of fulfillment in reference to the promise to david in reference to a place where god will rest a resting place for the lord this temple where they went for worship but also a kingly rule on david's throne forever luke chapter 1 verse 31 This is the, the birth being foretold. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. You know why they call him that? Because he is the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is being said about Jesus Christ prior to birth. Okay, let let that sink in. Prior to his birth, this is being said, that he will have that throne forever. He will rule and reign on the throne of David forever forever. He will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High God. This is a declaration of his deity. All right. Um, I want to show you a very interesting passage in Matthew 22 in connection with this. So go to Matthew 22, verse 41. Obviously, later in the ministry, the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus... This again points to this concept of Jesus Christ being the seed of David. Matthew twenty-two forty-one. 41. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. So remember, this was an accepted norm. The Jews knew this, the son of David. He would be the son of, at least we know he's coming from that line. He said to them, how is it then that David, now notice, this this is Jesus pointing to the inspiration of the Spirit in David's writing, in the Spirit, calls him Lord. Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I, put, until I put your enemies under your feet. Now listen to this. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And the answer is exactly what we would all expect. And no one was able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Beloved, if you have a bit of a grasp around the, your knowledge of the Bible... You know what Christ is saying here. He says, now, whose, whose son is the Christ? Well, it's David's son. Okay, so it's David's son. Um, but then in my Bible, I read, Jesus, in my Bible, because he wrote it. Not in the way it's your Bible, his Bible, he wrote it. So, in my Bible, it says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make, put all your enemies under your feet. The Lord said to my Lord. Wait a second, so David... Who's your Lord? And who's his Lord? How does this work? It's. It, it, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, and I may be wrong on this, but I believe Psalm 110 is like the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. And Jesus pulls this out and lays it before them. See, what he's saying is, the son of David is actually deity in the flesh. But that concept wasn't there in their mind. They they didn't have that. Nobody dared ask him. They didn't know exactly what he's saying. But again, beloved, what is Jesus doing? He's declaring that he's God. Just like he does over and over and over and over again throughout his earthly ministry. Takes a little bit of effort to see, but the more you look for it, the more you go, wow. Jesus called himself God so many times in so many ways. The Lord said to my Lord. So now we know that Jesus Christ is a son of David. Biologically, simultaneously, he's the Lord of David. i just kind of hold that there for a second. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 29. Sometimes in the study... You guys, if you've been there in my office, you know that there's the front room there at the Bible Shack and then my office is in the back. Sometimes in the midst of the study, it is impossible to stand still. Now, I can't do that anyways, but when I'm sitting there and this kind of truth is coming out, I have to go walk around those four tables in that front room and just repeat some of this stuff because it, it just thrills my soul. I didn't know this as a young Christian, as a kid, as I'm studying my Bible. I didn't see how all this interconnected. I had a an unfortunate divide of the Old and New Testament in my understanding of my Bible, to a point that this was so separated from this, I didn't see it all pointing to Christ. And so, as this just rushes off the page and study, my heart is deeply moved. Acts 2, 29. Acts 2, 29. Where am I? There we go. All right, listen to this. Brothers, I may say to you with Confidence about the patriarch David. That he both died and was buried. And his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, so he refers to David as a prophet, so many messianic prophecies in the Psalms. But notice the second piece. And knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, verse 31, should at least cause you to be thrown off your chair just a little bit, he, David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Now, a little further, verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, Now, here's what's so moving about that. David, back in this, when the promise is being made to him, your descendant will be on your throne forever. And then we come to our New Testament, and the New Testament author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, goes to the resurrection and the ascension of Christ as fulfillment of that promise. But remember, where, what is Jesus' posture currently? What's he doing? What's the scripture say over and over and over again? He's seated. You know why he's seated? Because his job is done. Now, we ask the question, whoa, whoa, Dan, are you, aren't you watching the news? <laughs> World's falling apart. You're telling me he's seated? He better get to work, right? You know what the scripture has to say to you? You're not looking at it correctly. Have you not read what the scripture says about the work of Jesus Christ currently? The word says that he's seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning. Don't you remember after um, his resurrection, he came to his disciples and he said, 75% of authority has been given unto me. All authority. In heaven and Oregon has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples. Beloved, that's what it says. I can look at my circumstances, I can gripe and moan about what's happening in my world, but the scripture says it. It says that God is ruling and reigning. Let me give you another one all things are working together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. True or not? But these circumstances hurt so bad. I know. Things look so crazy. I know. But what's the text say? And I'm not not preaching to you. I'm speaking to my own heart because I've been so caught up and so ready to just gripe about these laws and all these goofball things going on in our world. And then i got to come back to the text of Scripture and go, okay, I'm looking at the wrong place. Beloved, was God accomplishing his will perfectly in the moment of the crucifixion of his son? As Mary's tears rolled down her face. See, perspective is such a funny thing, isn't it? that so quickly I can get a perspective where I'm looking at just the circumstances around me and not seeing the divine design behind the circumstances working everything together for good. The scripture says that our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. No ifs, ands, or buts. Crystal clear. And this is what's so beautiful to me is that I can, I can talk like that, right? I can speak like that. But when you come to your Bible... And you see the inspired authors talk like that? Let me remind you, their culture was not better than ours when they talked like that. They had horrific kings. Some of the New Testament authors writing as as Nero and different people would have have Christians burning, slain, murdered, slaughtered. And the Apostle Paul says, All things are working together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What are you, nuts? No. No. His theology is crystal clear, and he sees the sovereignty of God in the circumstances. um, I've been thinking long and hard about a, a message coming up fairly soon, seeing the New Testament witness and declaration of God's sovereign ruling and reigning in the midst of a perverse generation. I am more convinced of it than I have ever been that God is absolutely on point. I got all kinds of questions for him, <laughs> but he's absolutely on point. Revelation 5 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Remember, this is, he's trying to open the scroll and he can't find anybody to open it and he's weeping and falling apart. The elder says, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, Beloved, I do want to make sure I make this clear. I still look forward to the physical return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I look forward to the The consummation of his kingdom. I recognize that we're looking forward to a future ruling and reigning of Christ for all eternity. Where there will be those, the sheep and the goats separated, and some to everlasting damnation and others to everlasting glorification. I look forward to that. But the point I want to make is that often people will talk about someday Jesus will reign. That's not what the Bible says. I mean, it does, but that's not all the Bible says. The Bible speaks with great clarity that Christ is ruling and reigning this second. And if we lose sight, man... The the level of discouragement and frustration to say Jesus is sitting on his hands and has no ruling and reigning right now is an absolute denial of reality and a denial of the Scripture. Now, let me show you that ultimate. I just spoke of Revelation 22. Revelation 22, verse 16. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely, I'm coming soon. Amen, come lord jesus the grace of the lord jesus be with all amen so beloved as you see that this promise to david made so many years ago god had this all designed to circle all the way down and land with the perfect lord and savior jesus christ the seed of david it's fascinating to me, this is a title that even demons refer to him as, as a son of David. You hear it throughout, his, throughout the scriptures, that he is the one that this promise is resulting in. And so the throne of David is not merely some physical throne for some king in some part of this world. Now, the ultimate fulfillment of the throne of David is the one true throne of Jesus Christ for all eternity. Fascinating, as you walk through the book of Revelation, you'll see over and over, every time the word throne is brought up, it's in heaven. The Son is seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling, reigning, accomplishing His good purpose. That's hard for us, because there's crazy things going on in front of us. But beloved, how could you read your Old Testament and see it absolutely perfectly come to fulfillment. Every messianic prophecy that lands spot on every single one and then question whether he's on point today. See, his first advent should grant tremendous joy, expectation, and confidence in his second coming when we see how faithful he has been. And so my hope, my prayer for everybody is that there will be joy and rejoicing that the seed of David is ruling and reigning. One last verse, Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Remember, David's Lord and David's son. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our Father in heaven.